South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. Hazel Makuzeni is my producer. And today our technical producer is Derek Fordyce. Our contact details are 0892-102010. Email otherwise at safm.co.za. Tweets at otherwise safm or at Shadow Twala. Today we talk to family and relationship therapist Flicky Hildenays, author of Blending Families, a practical guide to negotiating the challenges that step families face. Then we ask Lesiko Mashishi of Limitless OT why children would need to see an occupational therapist. The Market Theatre together with Spin Foundation today launched International Jazz Day South Africa. We hear more from Annabel Libete, who is CEO at Market Theatre Foundation. But first, our lunch bite for today, and it is about blending families. I found a few quotes. One by Kelly Mulkerin Ford says, Stop thinking that things are going to be perfect. It's not going to happen. The kids will not get along all the time. The house will not always be quiet. You will not always hear please and thank you. It isn't realistic. What is realistic is taking stock of how incredibly lucky you are to have more children to love and to guide. Another quote says, and this one is from an unknown author, if a mother and father can love more than one child, then why is it so hard to understand that a child can love more than one mother and father? One of the core things for me has always been what Billy Holiday said. If you don't feel it, don't sing it. It's quarter to three. Billie Holiday was arguably There's the greatest no jazz singer of all time. She influenced artists from Frank Sinatra to Gloria Bosman. She had her own sound and I think a whole lot of singers like sort of steal it in a way, but she's never credited for it. In our SAFM documentary this Sunday, we celebrate the centenary of Lady Day's birth. Her mother was 13 and mine was 38. She had a great laugh, an infectious type of laugh, and uh, I used to tell her jokes just to hear this type of laughter. <laughs> she didn't have a big range like Ella or Sarah, which I didn't have either. The main influence I think that Billy gave to singers was to, to really play around the melody. Happy birthday, Lady Day, this Sunday on SAFM at 2.30 p.m. Flippy Hildenhays is a well-known educator in the field of parenting. Her enduring passion for helping families spans three decades and has produced innovative parenting programs and many successful family interventions. And this book, Blending Families, is an expression of years of working with families combined with her own personal experience of bringing up her six children in a blended family. Flicky, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shadow, and hello to listeners. This is a very interesting topic for me because we have so many, and I suppose growing, and you you would know better, uh, we get have a growing number of blending families or blended families in South Africa. Uh, indeed. Uh, in fact, um, research is showing that up to 40% of us will be living in a blended family at some stage or other. So that means either being a stepchild or being a step-parent. And uh, in South Africa, um, only one in three children actually live in the kind of traditional nuclear family with mm. both parents. So, yeah, the, things are definitely what they're, what they're not used to be, and I think blending families are here to stay. 
You know, I, I wonder, and I think it's very brave for somebody who's been in a relationship or in a marriage where there's a full family, walks away from that to start a new family uh, without doing the work. Because how can you guarantee that the next family, the integration is going to be easier uh, without having done the work? And what sort of work should be done in between um, leaving one family and starting a new one? Yeah, I mean, very often there have been broken relationships in the past and, and we do often, you know, tend to just move into new relationships and new situations without sorting out um, what has gone. So I, I think it is really important as you face with, with challenges actually to look back and, and, and see, you know, where did I go wrong and how can I do things differently and, and perhaps better this time. And how long should that period of mourning, so to speak, happen before you actually leap into a new relationship and even a marriage? Well, you know, grief, you know, uh, that process of, of kind of loss and moving on, resolving things, it, it differs from person to person. And certainly for children, it's going to take much longer than it would for adults. Mm. Um, I think suffice to say that, that we all tend to do it far sooner than we, than we possibly should. Um, but certainly, you know, there's a minimum, I won't put my head on the block here now, but, uh, you know, I think certainly children, they, they do need at least a year or two before they even can begin to contemplate kind of reforming another family. Mm. And, and I've, I'm, I've always been big on conversations, especially with children, because they... They seem to be uh, not. They seem to be the worst victims when it comes to um, blending families. Because sometimes they disregard it altogether. They've just been shifted. You know, they've got accommodation. Um, they've got school, and and that's what people just worry about. But nobody looks at their emotions. Uh, so, what sort of conversations ought to happen before you 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 even get into a new family? Well, I think, you know, that is around the, the loss. It's so much more than one can see really on the surface. Um, it's the loss of one of the parents very often kind of living, you know, daily in the home. But it's also the loss of the house, loss of the dog, loss of the school, mm. loss of my duvet cover. Mm. Um, you know, the neighborhood, everything was familiar. And as we know, children, you know, do need routine. They, they, they need familiar circumstances to feel secure. So um, there's an enormous amount for them to, to deal with. And, and the kind of conversation? In terms of? In, in terms of preparing the children for their new spaces and or losing what they, you know, especially, mm. I'm not too sure if it's worse, if one parent has passed on, or just after a divorce is it the same is it the same impact on children look i think in in many ways the impact can be worse uh, where there's divorce because of the ongoing conflict mm -hmm. um you know the loss is going to be always the same but the ongoing conflict that can go on between the parents uh, and um, the birth parents you know who are now living separately you know it's kind of ongoing damage that can take place so yeah, a divorce is, is really tricky. But if parents are able um, to engage in a way that, that is uh, healthier, um, children can actually become more resilient and uh, learn to deal with a sense of loss and actually grow from strength to strength, uh, better equipped um, for their own challenges they're going to face later in their lives.
Let's talk about your experience. And I, I don't know if you are happy to talk about it because I think you draw st- strength and some experiences from what you had to go through bringing up your six mm. children. What, what stood out for you as, as the biggest challenge? I think um, one of the biggest challenges was to be able to let go of control. Um, you know, when, when you're in a home and it's just your kids, you, you get to make decisions about, you know, how, how you're going to live, um, what are the rules are, and what are the ways of engaging with them. And um, when you have stepchildren in the home, you have to let go a lot of that because you're not the primary parent and these are decisions that are made um, without you being involved. Mm-hmm. So whilst of course there's always room for negotiation, one really has to examine oneself and in- ensure that you know, one's prepared to really just let go and, and, and realise that everything is not your responsibility. <laughs> And do you keep, uh, and do these children keep a relationship? Because there's a conflict then of, and I, I appreciate you saying let go, because if you want to control, there's another parent outside of this blending family that is still um, 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 in contact with those children and may have different rules. How much do you allow them, um, the outside mom or, or parent, to still participate in the upbringing of the children within this blending family and are there conflicts there? Uh, I think there always will be some form of conflict just as there are perhaps between um, parents um, Mm. in terms of rules and and, and ways of of doing things. Um, I think, you know, one can create a a lot of, um, you know, containment really for children even if there are different rules, by just continually assuring them this is how we're doing it in our house. And uh, I know mom, you know, your mom allows you, for example, to watch a, a PG-13 movie, mm-hmm. but in this house we don't do it until we're 13. So without criticizing the other parent, without, without judging the other parent, just, you know, this is how it is. And a lot is about your, your tone, your, in, you know, intonation. Um, and, and that just creates a security that my mum would do it that way and here I do it this house and everyone's, you know, going to accept that and be okay about it. And that is quite reassuring, I think, for the child. I think, though, the most challenging would be, you know, together with the rules and, 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 and responsibilities, the most challenging, though, would be um, the rituals and, and, and traditions, especially if there's religion involved or different cultures involved. I mean, it, it may even uh, tr- trickle down to what is eaten, the diet in the home. Mm, mm. Yeah, it, it is. And, it, and, of course, it becomes even more sensitive um, you know, when it was impeding on one's own kind of religious or spiritual beliefs. Um, you know, again, I, th- I think one has to be sensitive and uh, allow the child um, to feel that they don't have to, you know, they don't have to split their loyalties. They don't have to make decisions and choices about the way they're going to be just to please mum or, or to please dad. Mm-hmm. But to give them the space to actually begin to make their own decisions about things um, so it's not imposed on them. Um, yeah, but in terms of traditions and rituals, I think involving the children and in their decision-making is important. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to be celebrating, uh, for example, we've just had the, the Easter weekend, mm-hmm. um, one family might not celebrate at all, another family does it in a certain way, it might be going off to church, another family, it's all about the Easter eggs. 
but actually, you know, with the new family, with, with discussion, how are we going to do it? You know, what are our favorite things that we can draw from our, our lives before, as well as some new ways of being it, uh, of um, celebrating um, these events. Now, your book, is, is, is it, because for me, it looks like the Bible for blending families at the moment. When does one start reading this book? Is it while you're contemplating um, putting together this, this new family? Um, is, it, is it done together? Does each member of the family have the book to read and possibly discuss? When is it essential reading? Um, before, during, or after integration? Well, I've tried to make it um, to fit everyone's circumstances. I mean, certainly, ideally, to read before and actually um, to take the time out to look at one's own expectations is, is a key element in the book. So before um, problems begin. But mm -hmm. it is something you can pick up and kind of dip into um, along the way and, and get some help with regards to tricky situations. And it's also a book that therapists can use um, who perhaps don't have any hands-on knowledge or, or around these issues and can actually use this in terms of working with their clients and, and helping um, blended families that they come into contact with. And does it work across the board? I mean, it's it's not uh, um, it's easy to read. Firstly, and because I, I, I've been through a, a bits of it, and I think it's easy to apply. But is there anyone that you think would have a problem in in understanding, or is it really open to everyone? I, I think there are a, a lot of facets in the book that, that um, could be covered that aren't. I mean, you know, you you mentioned about religious and cultural issues mm -hmm. um, in South Africa. Um, there are so many different contexts to consider and mm. um, I would love to have really engaged in, in all of the, the cross-cultural issues that, that, that often come into play. But unfortunately there just wasn't scope for that. Perhaps that's a, another book to be written. Um, but um, So it certainly can't cover every, every situation, but I think it, it, there's some very uh, general principles that, that apply to everybody, no matter what your circumstances. Now, do you have just... Uh a few examples or a few must do or think about issues that are imperative um, before you even think of a blending families that people can remember even before or can, should remember even before they get to the book and how they should work it, uh, you know, work through those first to decide when it is a good time and whether to, to have a blended blending or to be blending families at all. Because it, it's, it's not for everyone. I think some people were meant to be alone and single and, and, and just play a peripheral role like that in families. Oh. And others cannot deal with children, you know, regardless of whose children they are. They just cannot stand kids. So are there five, five or four or ten things to remember or to do to give yourself a test? Um, well, I think, you know, key really is, is first of all just to, to look at um, one's yeah, loss issues and grief issues around previous broken relationships. Um, you know, to be sure that um, the dust is settled um, on those things. So um, that, that the kind of looking at a new relationship is, it has much more of a firm grounding. And, and then really looking at the way forward in terms of expectations. What are your expectations? Very often these are not discussed and 
um, you know, a, a couple get together where there is a, a stepchild involved and they have an expectation that the, that the little girl that quite happily played with them while they went out to dinner and, you know, was very sweet and loved the little presents that, that were brought along at the getting togethers. You know, this is a very different child when, you know, the other partner moves in and, and it's bedtime and um, <laughs> you get a different side and... Uh, um, these expectations of how it's going to be have to be really carefully um, thought out and talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think what comes into play is in any relationship, one's family of origin, um, what, what are the kind of principles around how a family should run and, and be? You know, what is my idea of family? What should relationships look like? How do I feel about rules and roles and responsibilities and make sure that you both um, feel that your, your, your approaches are compatible. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I mean, sorting out um, the finances is a huge one. Oh, that um, must be big. It's big, yeah. I mean, it's even more complicated when one partner's having to pay, you know, the other parents of the, the, the children um, maintenance money and one child needs, a, you know, piano lessons and there's barely money for clothes for the other. I mean, how do you, you know, go about resolving those issues? I, I, th- I think that needs an enormous amount of work mm, um, mm. and input. Um, there's a lot of sacrifice, you know. Is it for you? Um, you know, you, your, your, your parental relationship doesn't come first for a very long time. And uh, one has to question oneself and say, are, are you ready to do that? Um, am I ready, you know, to have a part-time relationship <laughs> when the focus is going to be on the children? Now I need I need to ask this: Is it is it while you're blending families and you one has children, one parent has their children, and the other parent does not? Is it advisable? And when can you have your own in this new relationship? Um, well, in, in you know, I guess it depends on um, the individual circumstances. But certainly, the person who doesn't have children really, really has to check their expectations and mm. make sure that the, that the role they're going to play, you know, is maybe a kind of aunt figure, um, is going to be clear that you're not coming in as the parent, you're not going to be disciplining, um, you may be helping out and, and giving lifts and make, you know, prepare meals and take the lunchbox um, for the child. Um, but but it's not, you know, taking on that parental relationship. I mean, unless, of course, it's a very young child, um, in which case it's going to need much more hands-on care. Um, Yeah, and in terms of time frame of adding another children, I mean, longer, you know, it's going to be better. It it does depend on the developmental age of the other children, about Mm. how willing they will be, you know, in terms of accepting a, a new baby. But gosh, very, very delicate, um, but certainly something that can enhance the whole family and, um, you know, bring the family together. I mean, one of my children is adopted, a uh, later adoption, and, and we always kind of feel like he's almost the glue in, in our in our blended mm. family. Mm-hmm. Flicky, do we have more angry children from blending families? How do they grow up? Do we know what, have we kind of tracked the way um, or who they become as, uh, you know, in in society eventually? Because I've seen a lot of uh, very angry children from blended families that have have, have become, um, they, they haven't become the model citizen, if you like. Yeah. 
Um, well, the, the two things that first see, you know, around the anger, I don't think it's, uh, div- well, research has shown that it's not um, divorce or um, remarriage and blending of families that gives gives rise to, to this anger in the children. It's the conflict between um, the ex-partners. It's mm. the conflict between the partners who are no longer together. That is what give, gives rise to the problem. And it isn't the inevitable problem though there will be conflict at times but really how that is managed and how much it's imposed on the children um, is key in kind of protecting the children from that so it's not divorce and and step parenting is the problem it's the way parents um, manage the conflict Um, yeah the research is very clear on that and in fact where parents are able to give the children the support, they actually end up with more, being more resilient than, than mm-hmm. other children who haven't had, mm-hmm. um, you know, these challenging circumstances. So, you know, it can make you stronger uh, as long as the parents are all on board and prepared to deal with conflicts appropriately. Do we encourage continued counselling throughout uh, um, the period of blending families and for how long and when do you know you've just got the right thing or is it is it different with every family? Research has shown that it does take up to seven years to mm. um, for a family to blend. I mean, that is all the research is showing us at the moment. Um, but the problem, you know, we have is that the dynamics of blended family changes all the time. Um, no sooner has the family got together than one of the family members' children is leaving home mm. um, or mm. a baby is born. And so it's a very dynamic process. So it, it kind of has to continually reform in, in many ways. Well, this, this your book then, Blending Families, is really a guide um, and, and gives... I suppose, thoughts or food for thought for for people who are blending families, uh, but they would still probably, as you say, need a therapist to deal with. It can be very um, helpful. Certainly, if there are any kind of behavioral issues um, in the children, um, any changes that have taken place and the children are not coping, or perhaps you yourself are not coping, Mm -hmm. definitely it it is time to, to get some help from somebody. So where do we find the book, Flicky? Uh, it's available um, at exclusive books. Mm-hmm. It's also available online at any of the usual search engines, um, the, the local South African ones. Um, um, I think it's also on Amazon in, in Kindle form. And, and are you open to people um, engaging you personally on, on the book and on your work? Yes, absolutely. I, th- I think my um, email address is um, up there in the, in, you know, um, online um, but absolutely I'm, I'm very happy to do that okay no thank you so much for talking to us and thank you for the book it's it's really i think it's going to help a lot of people who haven't even thought about i mean they they look at uh, blending families all you need is love you know i've been reading um i've been looking at quotes today that said secret to blending families is there is no secret it's scary and mm-hmm. awesome and ragged and perfect and always changing but love and laugh hard. Try again tomorrow. And that's life's advice, is it not? 
Absolutely, that's a good description. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Congratulations on your family, on your blended family, and and thank you for talking to us today. Thank you very much, Shadow. You take Bye care, Bye bye, bye bye. Blending families is the book by Flicky Hildenhays, and as you heard, it's available at all good bookstores. And I think just Google it, you will find it. When we come back, should children and why should they uh, see an occupational therapist? Shishi. Thank you, Shadow. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And you? Thank you for joining good, us. Thank you. Now, should children, and that's that's the big question today, should children uh, see an occupational therapist and when should they? Most definitely. Well, I think building up to now, occupational therapy has been, for children, has been seen more as a rehabilitative or re- or remediative process. So meaning that often uh, children that, that presented with problems at school, not being able to write properly, having concentration problems, mm-hmm. or just having inter- social interaction problems at schools, were, were often the ones that would uh, be referred for therapy. Mm-hmm. Or even children that have that were born with with um, mental conditions or mm. physical conditions, because automatically their functioning in in school would be disrupted. But now, um, as, especially for example, at Limitless OT, our approach is more preventative. So there are now school readiness programs for children that are. Uh, between the ages of four to six before they go go to grade one. So we actually prepare the children to prevent uh, problems uh, going into primary school. And then there's also programs for children going from primary school into uh, high school. And the same for matriculants that are going into tertiary. So occupational therapy is no more just for for those children that are ter- that are termed as uh, having learning problems or physical impairments or mental retardation, but it's more to enhance children's functioning in the area of school and to help children reach their full potential in all their different aspects of. Cool. Do you know, Lissaho, the reason why this question is important is that a lot of parents um, just worry and stress over the word occupational therapist when it comes to their children because I don't think they understand the process. And of course, because mm-hmm. it's linked with children with uh, in the past, especially within our communities, black communities, it's, it's just never been heard of. And, and, and linked with children with disabilities, serious mental disabilities or, or physical disabilities. Uh, is there anything that's being done to, to educate, I suppose, um, yeah, young parents, especially about occupational therapy? Well, personally, I don't think there is a lot being done, but, um, now we've, uh, at Limitless OT, we've started doing workshops that like we are having one on the 18th of April at Blue Valley where we actually have called parents and teachers to educate them on the necessity of all children to experience 
occupational therapy, depending on which level of schooling they are in. So it is definitely a big problem. And as an occupational therapist, I've, uh, it's an indictment for us to educate people about how um, the sensory integration programs that we offer and the preparatory programs that we offer can help children that, that are considered as normal. It's not just for children that have been labeled as disabled or, or having learning problems. But we definitely need to do a whole lot more work in the, in the area of educating our society about occupational therapy. The communication there is very important as well because, you know, I, I've heard of parents whose children may benefit from therapy say, no, man, this child is just naughty. I'll beat them up and they'll, you know, it'll sort them out, you know, because when we were children, we didn't need this and we did just fine. That, that sort of conversation happens quite a bit. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's how, how you communicate it and, and, and why would, would the child need, firstly identifying that there is something, because sometimes it's not a disability that you see. Uh, sometimes it's, 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 as you say, lack of concentration because of whatever else. And, and that's when they want to beat their children and say, listen, you are going to concentrate. Mm. You know, you, you just need to listen, you know. So how do you change that mindset? What we need to understand now, um, when well compared to the olden days, times have moved on now. The demands for children at school and uh, just in society is higher now. There's internet, there's, they get all sorts of information from everywhere. So the society demands more of the children. Even the education system is not as before. Children are required to be, to function more independently in a classroom setting. Mm-hmm. So hence the need for, for educational support in in terms of occupational therapy or tutoring or seeing an educational uh, psychologist is becoming more of a necessity now to help the children um cope with the with the additional demands but also what we need to consider is that anything or any behavior becomes a dysfunction if it it impairs on a child's normal functioning. So if the child is not able to make friends because they are always um, arguing with their friends or beating their friends up, or if they are not uh, able to take, take part in extramural activities because they are clumsy due to gross motor coordination problems, then it, it's, an auto, it's an automatic dysfunction in that area, which then... Um, inhibits them from being able to explore and learn more because children learn through exploring and the minute they have not experienced mastery over things then they withdraw from the process of exploring and learning you're the right one to speak though because you you were that type of teenager weren't you What's that? Well, no, no. I'm I'm saying though, as a teenager, you also had challenges uh, in your teenage years, didn't you? Yes. Mm. No, definitely. Mm. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, I lost uh, both my parents. As I was going through high school, my, my, I lost my father when I was in grade seven and my mother, my mother in grade 11. And 
that is when I first saw that some things, for example, experiencing trauma, mm. it can impact on a child's mental capacity because I went from being in the top 10 to failing a term and I was putting in just as much hard work as I was doing before but because my mind and my emotions had experienced trauma uh, my brain could no longer process information that I needed to process to be able to uh, perform the way I used to perform at school Mm. so we really need to take uh, things such as divorce or separation or death in a family or even uh, having, if a child has experienced a hijacking or so, we need to act upon those things because they will impact on, on a child's uh, emotional and psychological state. Well, you know, um, I, I know you give talks at schools, churches, and, and, and communities. How, how do people find you to invite you to these and, and engage with you? Well, I encourage people to visit our website. Mm-hmm. It's www.limitlessot.co.za. Mm-hmm. And then people can also interact with us via email on info mm-hmm. at limitlessot.co.za so that they can actually attend the workshops that we hold, mm-hmm. like one of them being for next week already. So Where's we the one really, next week? Uh, next week we're having a workshop at the Blue Valley Conference Center mm-hmm. on the 18th from 12 to 6 where we will be focusing on parents and teachers and and just providing more information on occupational therapy and and we also have psychologists and other professionals coming to help parents how to how to uh, notice when their children are having problems and how to aid their children in the area of school Please give me a telephone number Lesejo have you got one uh, not yours personally but for limitless OT well, we, we actually prefer working over email. Over email. Okay, so it's yes. info at limitlessot.co.za and you'll give yes. details of the Blue Valley Conference Center. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you so much all for right. talking to us and all the best with your talks. Huh? Thank you very much, Edo. You take care now. Bye. Bye-bye. The address again, that website, www.limitlessot.co.za or info at limitlessot.co.za. When we come back, we talk to Annabelle Libete, who is the CEO of the Market Theatre Foundation, about the International Jazz Day launch, which is launched today, this morning, in South Africa, and it's coming here. I'm very excited. You should know that. After this. Otherwise, on SAFM. Well, in November 2011, UNESCO officially designated April 30th as International Jazz Day in order to highlight jazz and its diplomatic role of uniting people in all corners of the globe. And I'm happy to say that International Jazz Day South Africa was launched today. Thank you to Spin Foundation and and the Market Theatre. Welcome to CEO Annabelle Lebet. Hello, Annabelle. Hello, Sister How are you? I'm so excited. Tell me, you launched this morning, and I think the event is still on. I just dragged you out of it. Yes, we just just finished, and I'm equally excited. Oh my goodness, what a <laughs> what a wonderful way just to celebrate. But I guess you love and what I love, jazz. <laughs> 
<laughs> all, all I think a lot of us love jazz. But you know what I was excited about? Herbie Hancock, who is also uh, part of the International Jazz Day, uh, uh, yes. the UNESCO one, he, he said when a human being is oppressed, the natural tendency is to feel anger. Jazz is a response to oppression that is not bullets and blood. Jazz mm. is the expression of harmony and at the same time of hope and freedom. Mm. And I think it couldn't have come mm. to South Africa at a better time. Well, you, you, you said it. You said it very eloquently, Shadow. It, I think this is uh, an opportune time for South Africa to be part of the celebration of International Jazz Day. Firstly, but I think with all the, the discourse and the issues, maybe jazz is just that one thing that will bring us around the fire and have us talking. Mm-hmm. I think we need to do a bit more talking and listening, as opposed to to fighting. Now, how are you? I mean, April thirtieth is around the corner. What can we yes. expect? for International Jazz Day, because now you, you've got this big, big work launching today. Ooh. It's just part of it, but there's a lot of work to be done because you're dealing with uh, schools, you're dealing with communities, you're dealing with historians, you're dealing with academics, you're dealing with so many people, oh, so many groups. Gosh, we've, we've just threw, thrown ourselves in, into it and we, we, we're running all guns blazing. You know, everybody's sort of on um, all hands on deck and we're excited about the program, the inaugural program. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also realize that uh, we want to start small. So yes. we're going to bite off as little as we can for this yes. year yes. Uh, and build a movement. You know, we're not setting ourselves up for grand things this year, but it's important enough that we start small, that we get the necessary buy-in and the necessary involvement of jazz appreciation societies mm-hmm. and jazz foundations I mean, everybody has a recollection of a jazz society in the township with one that they're playing jazz, and some of us grew up in that space, and those appreciation societies still exist today. So we want to bring in them on board because they're consumers and they're part of the jazz movement in a sense. Mm-hmm. We want to bring them on board, and we, we in touch with the um, city of Johannesburg, we're in touch with the Houghton Provincial Government around the programs that they have run and the spaces that they have that we could then use to host and to activate all these spaces in celebration of jazz and as part of a conversation that we want to roll out in those particular communities and those particular spaces as well. Well, I like your theme for, for your, or rather your thematic focus, which is uh, jazz and freedom as, as we celebrate yes. 21 years yes. of democracy. Yes, yes. I, I think it's a, this, this all came at the right time. Somehow um, it, with the Spin Foundation and the vision of Brenda Fasani and Dadamuzini Makene approaching the market theatre, it really came at the right time to celebrate not only Jazz Day, but the the week of the 27th of April with uh, celebrating 21 years of South Africa's democracy. Mm. These are the kind of conversations and the role that jazz played in, in highlighting the atrocities and, and in bringing forward the issues of freedom. It's an important discourse that we need to be having and an opportune time to be having that discourse, you know, and we can further the conversation about freedoms, not only just um, freedoms to vote and freedoms to engage, but I think freedoms with what we see with the xenophobic attacks and how that affects South Africans and artists and practitioners more broadly. And it's just at the, at the tail end of Jazz Appreciation Month, the beginning of Africa Month. So we, we see this, and that demonstrates it quite well that it's not the end of a month, but it's the beginning of another month that we need to be talking about the issues of Africa and, and our role as Africans and South Africans particularly in engaging with those, those, those issues that tear us apart as opposed to building us. Fantastic. But jazz is the one way of doing that and bringing that harmony that we sorely need.
So, Annabel, as you, as you know, all these jazz appreciation societies are now going to want to know where the program is and how they can participate. Who do they yes. contact? And is there a website yet? Or um, is there... So we will be launching our website quite soon. We will have a, a Facebook presence. Um, mm-hmm. At the moment, um, Brenda Society with Spin Foundation is the, the point of contact for uh, for any queries, any requests for involvement. Uh, we've got our media office at the Market Theatre. They're handling all the media queries. Um, if you want any further information, the Market Theatre website will have information about Fantastic. what we're celebrating. Um, and we'll have uh, more detail about the, the way the program is going gonna, is gonna to roll out for 2015. Okay, so Market Theatre website. Thank you so yes. much. Congratulations yes. for a job well done. Thank and I you. know we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you. Fabulous. All in the love of jazz. Yes. Love you. Thank you so much, Annabelle. Thank you, Susado. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. There you have it. Uh, go to the Market Theatre website and be part of this wonderful new movement called International Jazz Day South Africa.